Welcome, everybody. I am Rachel Levy-Lesser. And I am Stephanie Goldstein, and this is Life Accessories, a podcast about accessories, clothing, fashion, and the stories behind them. We are two friends who love to accessorize and who remember what we wore on pretty much every meaningful occasion, and that is what we love to talk about. You can follow us on Instagram at Life Accessories Podcast and also on Facebook. You can also email us at lifesaccessoriespodcast at gmail.com with comments, questions, or accessory suggestions. And if you like what you're listening to, we would love it for you to share this podcast with a friend and rate and review us wherever you get your podcast. Also, do not forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Today, listeners, we are very excited to be welcoming Sammy Greenfield to Life's Accessories. Yes, we are. And Rach, before we get into her biography, I have a question for you. Were you a ballerina when you were little? Did you take ballet classes? I did take ballet for two years. I was the tallest ballerina as I was always the tallest growing up. Awkward. And we did Doe a Deer as our song, our big thing. And I was Doe because I was the tallest. There you have it. There you have it. A little inside um, information there. Yeah. Look at that. I took ballet classes and I'll never forget how heartbroken I was when the year when we had a really fabulous tutu for our recital, I had chicken pox. (gasps) Now, wait, it gets better. Because I was over chicken pox, but I still had the, the marks, scabs, the marks on my, uh-huh. all over me, really. And you had to have makeup for the recital. Uh-huh. Now I was little, right? And my mom was very much against my wearing makeup when I had the pox and the ballet teacher wouldn't let me be in the recital without makeup. <gasps> Which God, maybe that's an insult. I feel like the oh, John Bonet Ramsey Brought that all to the forefront. The whole little girls in makeup. Because when you're a little girl, you want makeup. I was short and shoved in the back. So who cares? Wow. She did. And that was the end of ballet for me. We're going to tie this to Sammy because after she was cut from the ballet troupe at age 11, which is probably around the same time when I had. I didn't make it that long. I quit Uh, after like age eight or nine. (laughs) Sammy was inspired to write about her feelings and her book. Susie and the Ballet Teacher was published at the Belmont Public Library in Belmont, Massachusetts. And when her family moved to the South, she continued to use her pen to express herself. And throughout high school and college, Sammy was pen pals with a boy from her sixth grade homeroom. And after 11 years, those notes turned into love letters and the rest is history. I love that. That's amazing. I love a good pen pal. And I love a pen pal that turns into a love story. Make that social media and Instagram. I also had a pen pal. Did you have any pen pals when you were a kid? I did. I did. I I don't keep up with any of them anymore. No, no, me neither. Me neither. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. Writing since she was an adolescent, Sammy aims to make readers and her audience laugh through their tears. Love that. Mm-hmm. Her stories about grief, love, infertility, fear, and gratitude speak to readers in a funny, deeply personal, and relatable manner, inspiring conversations about difficult subjects. I think that's really important these days, don't you? I do too. Absolutely. Her book, Bury Me in My Bathing Suit, which is a great title, 
And now that I just said it, I'm questioning my pronunciation of the word berry. Is it berry or berry? Well, I say berry, but it's like berry sounds weird. It sounds weird. Berry, like like a berry. strawberry. Bar- berry? Berry. Berry. I, I wish our listeners could see your face. B-U-R-Y me in my bathing suit. All right. B-U-R-Y me in my <laughs> bathing suit is a collection of short essays that range from happiness to heartbreak and everything in between. This is a lot to digest. I yeah. definitely do not want to be buried in my bathing suit or buried. Neither no. one. We're going to talk to Sammy about what yes. we want to be buried, buried in. We'll have to do that. Okay. I'm excited to bring her on. Me too. Hi, Sammy, and welcome to Life Successories. We're so happy to have you here with us. Thank you. It's so great to be here. It's great to see you. And now I have the honor of asking you the big Life Successories question of the day, <laughs> which is what meaningful accessory or item do you want to talk about today? I wear my dad's cufflink. I had it turned into a necklace. Actually, I asked my mom to turn it into a necklace for us because when my dad passed away, we were wearing his sweaters all the time or random pieces of clothing, which we still do, but we actually wanted to take something that was meaningful so he could be with us all the time. And I actually listened to your podcast and Rachel, when you're talking about wearing your dad's happy days sweater, it reminded me of the same stage. Like we first went through this sweater stage and then we said, okay, what can we do that has him with us. I can't really wear a sweater to work every day. What what would bring him with us each day? And so my sister and I both wear his cufflink, which is great. Do you, so, do you wear it every day? I don't wear it every day, but actually yeah. I really put it on when I really want him to be with me. I definitely am conscious about my accessory and say, yeah. okay, today I just need a little burst of him with me. And that always makes yeah. me feel good. So it's great. Thank you for telling me about the phases. So first we do sweater. <laughs> Separation. No, it's funny you said <laughs> it's that true. because it's cold now. We're all in the Northeast. And I was in my closet picking out a sweater today. But sweater weather. Yeah, it is sweater. And I, I haven't worn my dad's Penn 1963 sweater because I said I would, but it's like weird to wear a man's sweater like that. I will on a Saturday or whatever around yes. the house. I think a lot of us who are sentimental, think about wearing a necklace from our mother or our grandmother. Mm -hmm. But as a woman, at least it's hard to wear men's items, right? First of all, men's jewelry. I love how you converted a cufflink into a necklace. It's so clever. And a cufflink, by the way, is not worth anything. First of all, my dad wasn't a jewelry wearer. I don't even think he had a nice watch. He had a moderate watch and then a couple cufflinks. And I have a brother, so he wanted those items. We took a couple pieces of clothing, which I think is probably the first stage. I actually want to insert, there's a creative stage where I dove into like, oh, I could make a skirt out of his ties, or I tried all different things. (laughs) Did you you even try? Oh, okay. I love the idea. I like that. Or maybe like a scarf. I don't know. I definitely wanted something that I could wear. And actually, originally, I thought I was going to make a ring out of it. I took the cufflink and I went to the jewelry store and I was going to make a ring and thought that would be fun. And actually, then when I went to my mom to say, what should we do? And should we do this for my sister as well? That's when we thought like, okay, actually a necklace, what would I wear more of? A ring I'm not wear as often as a necklace. And it's subtle. There are times when I can wear it underneath something and no one knows that my dad is with me. And then the other thing I love is the story it tells. I definitely, like when I started listening to your podcast, I realized how many accessories I use to tell stories to people. And the cufflink is one of them. My dad's been gone for 23 years but I can start talking about him and telling stories because the necklace kind of starts that, which is really great. And that's a beautiful thing. What I'm really touched by is often when we have guests on who have an accessory of a loved one, 
they say the same thing in terms of, yeah, I don't wear it every day, but when I need to feel them close to me, I'll wear it. We so relate to that. Our listeners can't see the cuff link, but can you describe (laughs) it a bit? So it is a little fake gold. It has his initials. And so it's an oval. And then it was actually easier to do than you would think because the jeweler just attached a chain to it. This has been, I think I probably have had it for 10 years now. So he was gone about a dozen years, but other people you've seen now, like there are a lot of coin jewelry that looks similar. Mm-hmm. And actually yes. I literally pick out my accessories based on who I'm going to see that day as a conversation piece. I do fundraising. Yeah. So I'm always trying to deepen connections. And I have a Jane Wynn necklace of Nantucket where our family used to go. If I know somebody is going to, I have that connection from Nantucket. I put that necklace on top right. of my dad's necklace. I have a friend who makes jewelry and she's made me bracelets that say joy burst because I'm big into spreading joy. Again, I'll wear the bracelet as something else to talk to people about. I just think it deepens the connection whenever you're speaking with somebody. It definitely does. I love that you pick out jewelry or accessories rather based on a conversation piece. I feel like I do that, but I haven't actually realized that I do that. Do you know what I mean? I don't think I do You guys invited me on here and I started to think about it because, and I had just been to an event with a lot of older women and it was a luncheon and I found in a basket that my my mother loves to keep everything. And she had given me my grandmother's Bermuda bag and I used it. I was like, oh, I'll use this as a clutch. This looks cute with what I'm wearing. The older women kept talking. Did they go crazy? They They must have gone crazy. So for our listeners who don't know what a Bermuda bag, we're talking about The little bag with the sort of arched wooden handle that's on Mm -hmm. a hinge and you could button off the cloth cover and change it to have it match your outfit. Many people either had them growing up or- Right, you had one, right? Clearly. Come on. (laughs) I have one that was my mother's um, and I just am so happy for these women that you had lunch with. Right? It instantly adds, if you walk into a room- And you need to connect with people. If there's an accessory in your hand or on your body, it immediately gives you a connection to start talking about. It It might not have anything to do with why you're there. Especially when you're walking into a room where you don't really know people, right? That's our tip of the day. We're going to get into your writing and your wonderful book, Bury Me in My Bathing Suit, which is a great title. But before we do that, because you mentioned it, your work in fundraising, can you tell us about your work in that space first? Yes, that's great. I work at the 10 acre uh, country day school in Wellesley. And so many people say to me, do you, why fundraising? And what do you like about fundraising and asking people for money? And really it's connections. Mm -hmm. It's talking to people about what they want to do as far as their giving and then helping them with that process. And that's a beautiful thing because especially in this day and age, it's so meaningful for people to give to an organization. And so working with them, I love that piece. And I do, I literally use my accessories to break the ice and bring some piece of me into the conversation. That's very personal. And then it deepens the connection. So I didn't realize that I do it intentionally, but I really do, whether it be earrings or a piece of jewelry or kind of a scarf or something that I have on. So let's talk about another accessory, which may be part of the title of your book, Bury Me in My (laughs) Bathing Suit, which is a collection of essays. Tell us what's behind the title 
first. It's interesting because <laughs> when you both t- the podcast, when you both were talking right after yeah. right, father passed away, you were mentioning Stephanie about your mother and picking out what she was going to wear. And actually, Rachel, I, I thought yes. it was like you were talking about picking out your father's golf whale tie. And so when my grandmother was, um, she had lung cancer and she was talking to my mother and my mother had picked out an Easter suit. And she was like, that's actually not what I want to be buried in. P.S. That's not my favorite outfit. Rather be buried in my favorite outfit, which happens to be her black with gold. Everything with my grandmother had to have gold lame somewhere on it. She was like, my black and gold bathing suit. She was like, that's my favorite outfit. When I swim, I feel the most myself and I feel the most connected. And that's what I want to be buried in. So the funny thing is, I thought this was public knowledge. I decided to write my book and I loved the idea of being buried in what brings you joy. And I went to my mom with a book and she was, I was like, here it is already. She's like, wait, about the title? No one knows. (laughs) I'm like, they do now. (laughs) People come up to me at book signings and tell me I hadn't thought about what I wanted to bury. Maybe it's fun to decide what you want to be buried in before the person has to pick it out for you. Now we're going to go morbid, but I'm going to go there. But I think about what I want my funeral to be like, but I never have thought about what do I want to wear? Right. And and like, makes sense, right? If you start to thinking about your funeral, because I actually think that's interesting, but why not also choose your outfit? When Stephanie and I were preparing for this interview, we got into the conversation of what do we want to be buried in, which I had never thought of. So I'm thinking a lot of scarves, Mm -hmm. like maybe, maybe make a whole outfit out of scarves. What do you think? I can't, I I mean, I can't pick just one. Interestingly enough, I know this is fascinatingly morbid. My parents didn't (laughs) tell me what they wanted to be buried in, but I think that's part of the love letter to them and to the people that we love that I knew what they should be buried in. That my father looked like he was going out to play golf and my mother looked like she was going out in like her colorful, casual outfit. I think that's a testament to yeah. the people when they were with us. For it sure. is. It's beautiful to think of it as a love letter and how proud you probably felt to say it was exactly how he you know, should have looked. It's, that's like another yeah. you know, joyful burst to say, oh, I actually picked it out and it was exactly the way that they should be. Okay. That actually felt good. And sometimes you don't realize that it was a joyful love letter until well after too, mm-hmm. right? When you really well, are think, able to stop and reflect. I think we're getting better about, because I've had people say to me, since writing my book, they'll say, oh, I actually felt really good reading a eulogy and felt wrong about that. I shouldn't feel good reading a eulogy because that's a sad. And I was like, I think that's what life life is about. There are moments that can be beautiful during very sad moments. Right. Um, yeah. And it could also be funny, believe it or not. It happens all the time. So you wrote these essays over a long period of time. Was it a cathartic experience for you to write about these essays? I imagine very. it would be. Very. And there's something about writing about a very sad, when I personally do it, it, by the end, I can find those beautiful moments and it turns it more positive once I've written them on paper. Whereas when you're, when I'm talking about them, wallowing in the sadness of them, but writing about them really feels therapeutic to me. There are so many great stories and I have a favorite story in your book. I'm not going to tell you which one, because I'm going to ask you what's your favorite and we'll see if they're the same. I was actually speaking to a group of hospice nurses yesterday, and I was telling this one of our funniest stories that we tell that was also a very sad time was going to a party right after my father passed away and having a guest come up to my, I'm the oldest of four. We were all there with my mother. We were around her trying to help her at this party. And someone came up saying like, where's Jack? Where's Jack? I want to get him a gin and tonic. Is he at the bar? Is he in the bathroom? And we all just kind of freeze. And then my mom says, (laughs) 
there's no easy way to say this. Like Jack is not here. (laughs) And you then all crowd around the person to make them feel better. Like we're okay. We're doing fine. So we do that. And then 15 minutes later, this woman's husband comes up and goes through the exact same thing. Uh, we all just burst out laughing. Like we right. were laughing so hard. Tears rolling down our face. We're like, this is like a <laughs> movie. There is no <laughs> easy way. Yeah, exactly. So my favorite story happens to be the one. It, it's also party related. You helped your dad uh, with a surprise party for your mother with a yes. certain guest. I don't know why. <laughs> My dad thought it would be funny to surprise my mother with a stripper when she was throwing a party for them to get into a country club. So their guests were not their friends. So the judgment here was really off. They're trying to get into this country club. They're given a guest list of people they should invite to their cocktail party. And he thinks this moment is a really great time to surprise her. Yes, she was very surprised and get her a stripper, which offended 65% of the groom. (laughs) And they did not get into the country club and people were leaving horrified. And here's my mom just sitting there trying to act like this is totally normal. And we would just laugh about that because my parents' attitude was like, all right, that's not where we belong. They're not right. our people. <laughs> that <laughs> reminds me of a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode <laughs> where Larry David and his wife, they were trying to get into a country club and he shows up in like a sailing <sighs> hat and like blazer and <sighs> he didn't get in either. So whatever. That's That's a good one. Um, It's good to keep in mind. So in between your essays in the book are some of your grandmother's pie recipes. I don't know if you know this, but Stephanie and I are both big bakers. Um, We actually met through baking. I hosted an online baking show throughout COVID and Stephanie came on the show. Do you like to bake? And if so, what are your favorite things to bake? So I love to bake. I actually call it anxiety baking because anytime I'm pretty stressed, you'll find me baking. And I have this one girlfriend, Kate, who would come by my house and I'd be like deep into multiple cookies when our boys were so small. And she'd be like, oh, okay, what's happening? So I definitely love to bake. I just find it a great stress reliever. There's something about being deep into flour that makes me feel calm. And my grandmother was really into pies. And so it's very funny when I talk about my grandma Phyllis, because people assume because I've written about her in the book that we had this loving, fantastic relationship. And she was very prickly, very cranky. (laughs) The big joke in our family is that she didn't hug. She would walk up to you with her hands in her pockets and you'd lean in and hug her and she'd just (laughs) sit there really stiff. And that was like a hug. That's amazing. She'd show up complaining and she'd always come (laughs) with this big pie basket. And whatever time she came, she'd bring a pie. And so we'd all connect over her pies. And now it definitely is. We all feel like something about connected to each other and connected to mom's family when we're all making pies together. I have feelings about making pies. Do you enjoy making pie? <laughs> I enjoy when the pie is complete, but I definitely yes, struggle. The process. Like, I'm an easier. The process is Yes, hard. the process. I still have a little yeah. PTSD. I had a pie <laughs> expert on this baking show, Beth Howard. She doesn't mind if I shout her out. She still will apologize to me at random times through Instagram. She shamed me on the show because I was touching the pie crust too much, which (laughs) you're not supposed to touch it that much because then it it warms up. I get nervous every time I make a crust. Maybe that's why I don't like pie because I'm touching it too much and I'm making it so I can't really do anything. You know what I don't like about it? I think that my pies never come out looking good. A cookie can look (laughs) all different ways, shapes and sizes, depending on the cookie. But a pie, I'll be like, look at this gorgeous pie. And people are like, not so gorgeous. I feel like our Venn diagram of where we come together, Stephanie and me, and I conclude (laughs) you, Sammy, in this Uh is sort of being 
creative writing. Now the podcast, we bake a lot. We accessorize a lot. So you're definitely in that fine <laughs> circle center. of our I like that We were actually just both baking a lot last weekend and comparing notes, getting into it. In the- yeah. Well, one of the Just recipes so I had fun. to share was I make granola every Sunday. I make granola and it started, I had remembered my mother made granola when we were growing up and it started when our boys were little, I would make granola. And the idea that I was going to shift my family to eating a healthier breakfast and they'd have yeah. yogurt, granola, but for probably 10 years, I was the only one in their house who'd eat the granola because my kids would be like, I want no piece of that. Right. They'd make this big vat of it, it sits on the counter. So what was happening was friends that were coming over would ask me about the granola and I'd put it in a jar and send them you know, home with it. Then I started giving it away. And it literally, I laugh now because I think it probably took like a good 16 years. Now my sons started eating the granola. They're like, oh, this granola. I love really it. Good. And I'm thinking, I love it. wow, that took a long time. <laughs> Going way back in time when you were younger and people would say, what do you want to do when you grow up? That's actually interesting because I, in fourth grade, was asked, and I've written about this in the book, I was asked to quit ballet because I was really klutzy. Literally, it's mm, what the teacher said. I can you- relate. Me too. I broke my arm in gymnastics mm. rolling up the mat. Yes. <laughs> Fell off a of balance beam and sprained my ankle. So ballet. So I wrote about it and I thought, wouldn't it be great to write a book? But I think any time I thought about writing more, I would be shifted away from, or anything that was creative, I would be shifted away from those careers to, you know, that might not make as much money. You should shift towards something that's going to be able to sustain you. So when I was little, I definitely wanted to write. Your book recently came out. And as you said, you have this career in development and fundraising, which I imagine you do a lot of writing in your career, not this kind of writing. But do you feel like you have more books in you now? Is this like your dream come true? Has this unleashed a creative path for you? Definitely. Because I think I didn't realize before I wrote this, I didn't realize how many stories I had inside of me. And those are my personal stories. But now I'm learning so many beautiful stories, whether it be in the people that I'm meeting with from fundraising or in people who've read my book, those connections are deep. And now I have so many great stories. Like I said, I could write a whole collection of what people want to be buried in. And so that's really fun. And my daily work, because a lot of people, I work at a school with wonderfully supportive faculty and staff and Everyone, when my book came out, started reading it. And so they'll all come and share their stories now, which is amazing because I can walk through the lunchroom and sit with a bunch of teachers and talk about whether it be about someone who lost someone or infertility or cancer. Even the students, I spoke to the student body, everybody is sharing more. And I think that's actually what's really special. So definitely see myself writing more in the future. Obviously, this is what this podcast is about. It's storytelling, but we use the accessory as a hook in case people have not figured that out yet. So you got it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Your middle name is Joy, which I love. I always wanted a middle name like Hope or Joy or Faith. Oh, God. My, so my middle name was my grandmother's last name, whatever, which is nice. <laughs> it's a family name. But so you talk a lot about bringing joy and sunshine and laughter into any group. You refer to them as Joy Bursts. Can you talk yes. to us about what yes. Joy Bursts are? Yeah. So the funny thing is I hated having the middle name Joy growing up. Oh, um, yes. Yeah, so the point that I would go to my parents, what were you thinking? This is so embarrassing. Couldn't you have given me something normal? Like my sister was Anne, Mary. Right. Like, yeah, I wanted Anne. And even when I got married. With an E or not? Definitely an E. Definitely an E. And when, I, when <laughs> I got married, I put my maiden name as my middle name. And then yeah. it wasn't until years later that I started writing more about Joy Burst. And I was like, oh, I need to bring back my middle name. The Joy Burst came up 
right a couple years before COVID, when I was having conversations with people, I realized that when friends asked me, like, how are you? I would complain a lot. I would literally sit there and say, this kid's, this is happening, or I'm not sleeping. or And uh, I realized, I was like, that's actually an awful way to start a conversation. So I started a blog of kind of focusing more on, let's focus on kind of the good things. There's bad things mm. too. But then COVID hit. And we were home and again, everyone started talking about who was sick and who had tested. And so I actually said to two of my girlfriends, can we start a, can you help me shift my mindset? And can we start a joy burst challenge where we would text each other every day? And I'm like, I don't care what it is. Just send me something every day that makes you smile. And that became contagious. I would say I took a bath after work and it felt yeah. great. And then one of them would say, I went for a walk with my dog. And so the next day I'd be like, okay, I can go for a walk with my dog. You give you the ideas. And I wrote an article in our newspaper about it. And it literally in our town, people started, I would be walking across a grocery store parking lot and they'd be like, Hey, Sammy, I went skiing the other day. It was a joy burst. And it was like this <laughs> literally contagious thing, which was really awesome. So it um, really does change your mindset, huh? Like we all have a 5,000 things that happen during the day that are not great, of course, of but course, I try yeah. and say, okay. And if I don't notice it during the day, I make sure when I get into bed at night, I try and write two to three things that just made me smile and they can be anything. It can be like, actually yesterday I put on pom-pom socks and I'm like, I just need to put on some nostalgic pom-pom socks. Whoa. Whoa. Love I love the pom-pom socks. Wait, where are we getting the pom-pom socks? Amazon they have them still? They have yeah. them. I have, have the them. Look stop it. Yep. 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 Yeah. Okay. So it's like, and there you go. There's like just an easy way to brighten your mood. There's mine for the day. Yeah. Another accessory. Yeah. I love this joy burst. It's so true. A little behind the scenes here. When Stephanie, I first got on this call, she's like, how you doing? And I was just like, oh, because the news of the world isn't great. Mm -hmm. And I almost feel like when you get together with a group of friends, the default is to start the conversation about the bad news. And you almost feel a little guilty about saying something like, oh, I wore pom-pom socks. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but like, whatever. No offense to pom-pom socks. Right, Obviously, right, I'm a fan. Right. I think that's a great idea. Can I steal it and use it? Of I mean, I, it's so easy to get bogged down and mired and all the crap yeah. that's going on in the world. It's so true. I'm not trying to say that I'm just trying to be positive about everything. It's more toxic just, positivity, right? It's more just <laughs> yeah. saying the dog woke me up at 4am and that was awful. But then I went downstairs and I used a Christmas mug. That was my mom's and it kind of shifted me for a split second. I'm not talking, yeah. it's just one little thing. And I think the but more to you be know, mindful of those moments, right. do you teach that to your kids? Like, are they into it? I Trying. trying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're getting better about it. Yeah. They are because um, they're 18 and 22. They are funny because all of their friends <laughs> have read my book and I keep saying like, so do you want to read it? They're like, yeah. both of them have yeah. it. Like, stand. Yeah. yeah. It might be a long-term right. project. <laughs> that is a good idea for parents of kids of all ages. Cause sometimes you just don't know what to do. And, I always uh, feel like if my kids, if they're ever in a mood, which believe it or not, they can be. Sometimes I try to fix it right away, but I like the joy burst. The other thing that I've done is just sometimes I feel like they need to be heard. They don't want solutions. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I listen to whatever they're telling me and I'm like, oh, that must be really hard. Transformed from when they were smaller, we did highs and lows at night. It's always interesting to hear what the lows were. Just And it definitely is, it's a, it's a gratitude practice too, right? Because you're literally noticing what 
made you smile and being grateful for it. I was trying to teach them recently that I think it also helps if you, so if you write down your joy bursts, what I like to do is you can look back and say, mm. what actually, oh, taking a bath after work makes me happy four times in the last month. I was okay, going to say, are you noticing some trends? You can definitely <laughs> see trends. Yeah, so. I love it. And so then you can do more of that. Because I think that's the hardest thing is that a lot of people are like, oh, I want to be happier, but I don't know what to do. It could be something simple. Right. So. I'm, I'm going to start doing that. Joy bursting as a verb. Yes, I am. You're we are getting that. such great advice. We're joy bursting. Right. We are wearing accessories as we conversation are. pieces. We're not going to touch our pie dough as much. We, right. we, we, yeah. I put conversation pieces around my house too. Like for example, my friend, Shane Riley, hi Shane, who is a former guest on this podcast. I went to business school with her. She's a serial entrepreneur. She's super duper creative. I'm shouting her business out now. Her most recent company is called Objet and it's decorative weights. Like you put on your coffee table and you lift them. So I have it on my coffee table so I can use it as a weight, but also it's an amazing conversation piece. I cannot tell you the conversations we've gotten into because of this object. Now that's actually helpful because probably back in the day, people just had coffee table books, but now most of us, like my coffee table's same has like a lot of different things on it. And because exactly this for the same reason, the conversation pieces, but I bet 20 years ago, people only had a coffee table book and maybe that was a fire conversation, but I, I do the same thing. I have items that are like, I have a knit blanket actually that grandma Phyllis made me and it's a joke with my siblings because I will wrap myself in it. We're like getting a hug from grandma Phyllis. And hug, you know, like we connect over I that. Love it. I, think. I love right. it. Anything that you can connect with people and start a conversation, I think is great. And that's what you've done with your accessory too. Thank you. I love to it. To talk Tammy. to you about this. This is, we've oh, you guys are fun. so much. This has been joyful. Right. Yes, well, definitely. I feel like I've been smiling. I'm going to smile for the rest of the day just because of God. this like, fantastic experience. So thank you guys. Oh, thank, thank you. for you. Sammy, can you tell our listeners where they can find you? Because I'm sure they want to know more about yes. joy bursts and thank conversation you. pieces and all that good stuff. Thank you. I'm on Instagram. It's at Sammy Greenfield. I'm also on Facebook. I'm a big Instagram fan. So I'm there the most. That's the best place to find me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Sammy. It was so much fun to have you. And thank you for sharing your dad's cufflink that you turned into a necklace. Love it. Thank you. And everything else you shared today. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Life's Accessories. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate us, and get in touch. Thanks for tuning in. Bye.